0: So, so I'm just going to restart that um, so Robert can edit that bit out before.
1: You're listening to the CXMH podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health.
2: Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Hoare. I'm one of your hosts and I am joined as always by my co-host Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Holly, how are you this week?
0: Hey Robert, we are doing okay. We're doing all right. Just one yeah. day at a time right now. Yep. Yeah. What about you? How are y'all doing?
2: Uh we're doing we're doing well. You know, it it I think we talked some about this last week, but it feels a little like we're kind of adjusting some, right? Mm-hmm. Not obviously still everything is is what it is in terms mm-hmm. of like global situation and all that, but it's less of like a shock to the system, you know, kind of as it as it goes. Yeah. Um so, you know, we're we're doing alright. We're we're going along. That's
0: good. Yeah, I think that's a a good way to put it like it it's a less of a shock to the system, but Still finding those like waves of unexpected, like whoa, okay, well, this is new, and you know, right. trying to hold space for that. So, one of the things that Callie's teachers, or one of the the teachers at her school, did was they actually did like an Easter egg hunt at the school, but um, like at Callie's school. But the understanding is that you have to stay in your car and drive around and like point out the eggs instead of like jumping up and like grabbing the Easter eggs. And yeah. that was, like, it was wild, like, doing a an Easter egg drive-through. Like, it's that, to me, it was such, it was so sweet, and it was so nice, and I love that the teachers did that, and it gave us a chance to get out of the house and, like, kind of quote-unquote do something, like, even though we didn't get out of the car, even though we just stayed right. in our car and, like, ate, you know, ate our dinner, like, driving around <laughs> um, looking for Easter mm-hmm. eggs, but... Yeah. For those of you who are listening, if you are trying to think of creative ways to do Easter egg hunts, you're welcome. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just – yeah, that was that was interesting.
2: I will say like one of the things that has come out of this that, you know, I'm not going to say like, oh, it's like, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that has been interesting to watch is how people are finding ways to do things like that, right? Like these community yeah. things or even – um, we've found a couple ways to like play games through Zoom with friends or
0: mm-hmm.
2: Brooks Ministry, like hosting game nights for students on Zoom where you can like share a screen and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. It's been really interesting to watch how That's people awesome. are doing. Like, kind of the 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 way I picture it in my head is like the side to side things because obviously you can do face to face, right? Like I could call you and we could talk, mm-hmm. but so much of social relationships is like side to side, where like we are doing something together. Mm -hmm. And there's somehow like less pressure on that, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's just a different type of bonding. And so finding ways to do that has been really interesting in terms of, you know, I don't want to call always someone and just have an intentional conversation face to face. There are moments for that, obviously, but sometimes you just want to do things with people. And so um, seeing how people are finding ways to do that is has been, I think, really interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I've definitely gotten a lot more reading done, too. In the last couple of weeks, <laughs> which has been good. Yeah. And I'm really excited about the the episode that we have today because this book is about to come out this week, actually.
2: Yeah, yeah. Why don't you uh, tell us all about it?
0: Sure. So, y'all, this week we have Steve Weens on who is going to be talking about his new book, uh, Shining Like the Sun, Seven Mindful Practices for Rekindling Your Faith. Um, I think his book is so timely in light of everything. And it's a, you know, it's a book that I think is not only relevant for right now and everything we're going through, but is also, it's a pretty digestible book. Like it's not too dense, It's um, but it's pretty profound in a lot of the things that he walks us through. And so we spend, you know, some time just kind of chatting and then diving into each of these seven practices that he unpacks. And I talk a little bit about what I loved about each of these practices and what he writes about them. But I I really cannot recommend this highly enough. If you are looking for a new book right now in this season, if you are reading more as well, um, this would be a great one to add um, to your library. So I highly recommend it.
2: Yeah. And I will right here publicly apologize to you and Steve. I was super bummed. I actually hopped on the call for this and oh, yeah. said, hey, uh-huh. and then had uh, a scheduling th- error that uh, I'm assuming was my fault that showed up. And so then I had to jump off and let y'all just take it. So, you know, my apologies. And I definitely missed being part of the conversation, but uh, I'm excited to get to hear everything. I I enjoyed the book as well. So um, I'm excited Mm. to hear him unpack it in person. Yeah. Or with with his own words, I guess.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. (laughs) Well... (laughs) All right, y'all. I hope you enjoy this episode and here is our conversation with Steve Weens. Hey, welcome back. This week we have Steve Weens on the show. He is a pastor, a speaker, a writer, and host of the weekly podcast The Good Word, which is focused on an exploration of what's holy about humanity. He is also the author of Whole and Beginnings, and he and his wife Mary live in Minnesota with their three children. He's also the author of the upcoming book, Shining Like the Sun, Seven Mindful Practices for Rekindling Your Faith. Steve, welcome to CXMH. I'm so glad to have you on the show today.
1: Holly, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks so <laughs> much for Happened, me, and we're laughing because I I blanked on Monday. I, I was supposed we were supposed to be having this conversation on Monday, and now it's Wednesday as we're recording. And so uh, I I really am so so glad to be here.
0: Oh my gosh! Oh well, we are so glad to have you, and you know we understand things happen, things come up, and it is totally okay. But we have you here now, and so I'm so excited for this conversation we're about to have. Um, me too. Yeah. Is there anything that I missed in your bio that you want to share with our listeners?
1: Well, just a clarification, it's this good word, not the good word, but... Did I say lo- the? Oh, man, did. I'm
2: sorry. It's okay. Ew.
1: No, it's totally fine. And, you know, I just want to be, you know, want to be clear. A lot of people do it. I, And the funny thing is because I originally thought about calling it the good word. And then Mm. one of my friends was like, you know, that sounds really arrogant, (laughs) like Mm. the good word, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, it's this
1: good word and everything else was great. Thank you, Holly. Perfect,
0: perfect, yeah. Well, today we are going to get to focus on your new book, Shining Like the Sun, Um, and I'm so excited to dive into it and to just unpack the the richness that you have written in these Chapters, but before we dive into it, do you mind giving us a bit of a backstory? The kind of of what led you to write this book?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, as you said uh, in the in the bio, I have been a pastor and a writer, a pastor for many years. I would call myself a reluctant pastor at times, because I think um, I am. I've always been just very, very curious, and there's never been enough questions um, that you know, that I have been able to ask to explore the mystery uh, of God. And so I think this this book, what was behind it for me was I there are just so many conversations I've been having for years now, but especially in the last three or four years where people are just done with faith as we know it um, for a number of reasons, I think. The election was part of it in 2016, but also there's just I think a massive shift, and I think part of the shift is away from a faith that in the in in the West here has just been sort of empirically proven, uh, and then oh. sort of so so the curiosity is for people who uh, are very open to Eastern spirituality and mindfulness and mystery versus certainty and empirical proofs. And so this book is really seven very mindful simple practices for connecting with the divine really right mm-hmm. where you are. So I, I just found I found myself really hungry for that, Holly. Like an understanding yeah. of of union and communion with the divine that wasn't so much work. Um mm-hmm. and that and that didn't have to separate out some of the beautiful things that we learn from Judaism and Buddhism, and so um, so this book is sort of a a coming together, I think, of what I think of as some of the best that Christianity, Buddhism, and Judaism have to offer. So mm. let's start there, and let's see if we have any yeah. listeners left by the end.
0: No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm I'm sure I'm sure they will be hanging out for this one. I sure hope they do because it is. I mean, you, you started touching on the fact that it does have these seven mindful practices, and and I, I, you know, I appreciate you offering some of that backstory about how over the last few years there's just been these you know, building questions that have kind of pointed you into some of these directions, but certainly, you know, landing on, you know, well, and you start the book with this, it's so starting with finding God where you are. Yeah. Um. And I loved, I have to tell you, I <laughs> loved, you know, your emphasis on the here and now, because <laughs> I actually was reading some of Ram Dass' work alongside yeah. yours, coincidentally. Oh, wow. I mean, you know, as it is, but, but it was so fun and, Kind of flipping between some of his work and some of your work, and just seeing just this beautiful emphasis on the here and now. Um, But you write about it so eloquently in this book.
1: Thank Um, you. Wow. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. So again, you start the book really focusing on finding God where you are, and I would like to dive into you know those practices that you write about in the book. But maybe do you want to at least start with just again starting with God. Where you are and finding him where you are or, and like what you mean when you talk about this emphasis on the here and now
1: yeah well there so uh, I do start the book with an ancient parable it's sort of a story where uh, we imagine God sitting with the the board of heaven or whatever that is sort of the CEO table of mm-hmm. of of God and the and the board of directors and God comes in sort of flustered and says, oh, my gosh, I've made this creation, but I think I have a huge problem. And and they're like, well, what's the problem? And so God, she says, well, you know, these people are so inventive, but they're going to need things from me. I'm never going to get any rest. And so I'm going to have to hide somewhere, you know? And so some of the elders are like, well, maybe you can hide at the bottom of the ocean, maybe you can hide at the top of the mountain. And God says, no, they're they're just way too they're way too inventive. They're gonna find me there. And so then one of them finally whispers in God's ear and she says, Oh wow, yes, that's it. I'll hide within each one of them. They'll never look for me there. And I think that story is compelling to me. I got it from a book called The Yamas and the Niyamas by Deborah Adele. Fantastic book about the seven jewels, um, mm. essentially, of, of yogic thought. And the, the story is funny, but it's also sort of sad, you know, right? That that there, there is, I believe, this divine spark maybe that uh, some of our brothers and sisters uh, from different denominations would say. Uh, that 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 God exists within each of us. And that's not saying that we are God. I don't, I don't think we need to, right. like everyone sort of, most of us sort of know that, but that whatever it means when we read in different traditions that God breathed God's spirit into us at the very beginning means mm-hmm. that either God left <laughs> or God is still there. And I've chosen to believe that God is still there. And so um, we go on these long searches for God and maybe we feel like God has abandoned us. But I think when we look for God in the here and now, which is really all we ever have, right? I mean, there really isn't from a metaphysical standpoint. uh, I don't want to be super woo woo here, but there really isn't anything but the right here and right now. So, um, okay. So seriously, Holly, yesterday morning, Tuesdays are, so this is Wednesdays we're recording this, but Tuesdays uh-huh. are trash days at our house, right? Mm-hmm. And um, oh my gosh, we have this nine month old puppy. She's a golden doodle. Oh, and, oh she's oh. so cute. She is so <laughs> cute.
0: That's so, so sweet.
1: But anyway, mm-hmm. so Tuesday morning, I'm like, oh no, like no one has gone out and scooped up the poops, right? Mm-hmm. For two mm-hmm. weeks. It's been a long time. So the backyard, <laughs> and I live in. <laughs> I live in Minneapolis and so it's really, really like it's, there's snow on the ground and stuff. So I'm like, I have to get those out there because I don't want them sitting in the garbage can forever. They stink and blah, blah, blah. So I went out there with a little shovel and I'm, I'm sort of Unearthing these half fossilized poops.
0: Oh my gosh! <laughs> and
1: I'm noticing, like, I'm just getting pissed off. You know, I'm like, why am I the one that is out here? We have three sons. Why am mm-hmm. I the one that's out here? Why don't? Why aren't they doing it? I I have to get in the car and take Isaac to work or to school, and then I have to go to work. Mm-hmm. And blah blah blah. And I'm just noticing, like, my anxiety level is going through the roof because I'm having to pick up what feels like 120 poops and Mm. later that day i i I realized that that it that ruined the next about two hours of my of my day Mm. i mean like literally my anxiety was spiking because it was cold and like i was digging them out of the ice (laughs) like i Mm. felt like quitting (laughs) you know um but but the here and now and i don't want to be cheesy but like like the here and now really is about finding the hidden gift like giggling about the mm-hmm. stupid reality that here i am and also this like like okay white man whatever mm-hmm. but like that's a great opportunity to say like i'm not that important Here I am picking up Mm -hmm. poop in the back of my backyard. Yeah. And it's just a reset, you know? So like finding God in the here and now, if I can't find God, honestly, and I really believe this now, in at this point in my life, I'm almost 50. I turned 50 Mm. this year. If I can't find God while picking up poop, I won't be able to find God Sitting under the 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 ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, looking up at Michelangelo's work, I won't be able to mm, uh, yeah. because if I can't do it in sort of what I feel like is a really inconvenient time, mm-hmm. then I'll feel like I always need some big moment to find God. And when my expectation of finding God is different than finding God, you know, so yes. um that, that. I, I think that's a vi- that's a huge difference. And i I heard this I heard this quote yesterday from James Finley. He works with Richard Rohr, mm-hmm. yeah. and I'm so I'm following his new podcast uh, called "The uh, Turning to the Mystics." It's so good, mm-hmm. but he said this: um, the non-essential things are always clamoring for our attention. While the essential things never impose themselves on us.
0: Mm. Oh, wow. I mean, That's really think good. about oh, that. Oh man, yeah. Right, so if we're
1: looking for God, the essential thing,
0: <sighs>
1: God's never gonna you know, barge down the door, knock down the door. So that means we're gonna have to move toward God with some level of attentiveness so that we can figure out where God is uh, right here okay. in the here and now.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so good. I had to scribble that down really quick to as a reminder to myself when we go back and listen through the episode, I want to get that quote down. It is, that was, that is beautiful. Yeah, it's and strange, I funny. love, yeah, it's so good. Well, and I love how, you know, some of what you're saying touches, it's like, you're kind of weaving through each of these um, practices without intentionally doing so just kind of in, you know, your explanation of, this emphasis on the here and now and and I just from my own experiential knowing um, that you are just so right in that if we can't find God in those ordinary moments of picking up the poop and, <laughs> you know, chasing our kids around the house and they've taken something fragile and you're like, no, don't throw yeah. that or whatever, um, like I – you're right. You're not it, – it's, it's not like – it's he, like god's going to come in those big big moments. And god may come in those sure. big moments, but we I think the practice of finding god in the ordinary moments, even in the things that we're just not so crazy about, you know, that's so important. So, I just love that.
1: Well, and I, can, can I can I share this just super please, quickly? Please. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the title shining like the sun comes from a story uh, that Thomas Merton uh, so Thomas Merton, he, he was in the mm-hmm. 50s yeah. and 60s, one of the greatest contemplative uh, mystics of our time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he tells the story of being in Louisville and just being surprised by... All, he was on the corner of 4th and Walnut, just not doing anything other than walking. And suddenly he sort of met the mystical divine reality that we are all... Uh, we all have the divine spark within us. And he yeah. said... That walking around, it was as if everybody was shining like the sun. And if only we knew that each other was and that we were, we would see everything radically differently. And so I think I think it's important to name that that when we say finding God in the in the ordinary, there's a way of looking at that, Holly, that like maybe you would hear that as this very individual thing that that it only affects you. But I think I think because the divine is interconnected to the whole universe through the Christ, in my opinion, um, it, it, it affects how we see everything and everyone, you know, so it isn't this just yeah. disembodied experience of transcendence that then right. we go back to looking at everyone the same way. I think it changes how we think and feel and, and experience everything and everybody as well.
0: I love that. I have like the smile from ear to ear. Oh, that's so great! I love that. Well, and I love your, you know, naming. I'm I'm glad you circle back to the title and and that link to Merton and that divine spark within. So I that I had a professor in my master's program who would often use that term like the divine spark, and um, he never attributed it to Merton, but it brought such order and understanding. Um, to this experience. And so I love that you're weaving it in. Personally, I love it because it's just, it feels so familiar for me based on the teaching that I had learned, but then also in that sense of like, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Like once it's there, once you see that everyone does have the divine fingerprint or the divine spark within them, you can't unsee that yeah. it always comes back to you it's like a magnet mm. um, I I just I love that and how you've just woven that theme throughout the book and I'm so glad you brought up that story that, with Merton so but do you want I guess one so I do want to create some space to dive into these different practices yeah um, to the degree to which you want to dive in and you know just for our listeners, One of the things that I love about how the book is ordered is that you have a little bit of a story at the beginning of each of the chapters that explains the practices. And then you have these um, like these more specific practices within each um, that you unpack. But I don't know. I mean, I kind of have it written down to to go in order, but I don't know if you want if there's a particular order you want to unpack these and just kind of talk about Oh, just go for it.
1: Like whatever, yeah, whatever way it makes sense for you. Let's just go for it.
0: So let's start with the first one. The first one um, is attentiveness. And you write, to become aware and awake to the present moment, I practice attentiveness, learning to return to here so I can find God waiting for me with love in the eternal now. Yeah.
1: So becoming aware and awake to the present moment and I think even thinking about that for a second, what does it mean to be awake to the moment? And I think when we, when we realize how, um, how much the temptation is just to skate through the moment because we're worried about how we look, feel, what, how we're coming across, what, what the other person is thinking. If we're talking to someone, maybe in that moment we're thinking about what we're going to say next – and when we do all that stuff, it, it's it's like being asleep to the moment, um, oh, it, it, or yeah. being numb to it, right? So to be aware and awake is a learned process. We 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 can't just decide to be aware and awake. We have to learn to become aware and awake. So attentiveness is learning to return to here, so I can find God waiting for me with love in the eternal now. Mm-hmm. And so there's a couple of things about that that I think is just worth unpacking, right? So returning to here means it's like when you're practicing mindfulness of any kind, if you're trying to meditate, for example, right? If you've ever tried to meditate, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's yeah. crazy because, you know, all of a sudden you're just down the road of your grocery yeah. list or you're worried uh-huh. about, you know, you're just there, <laughs> right? And so yeah. So those of us that have tried meditating, you know, have sort of learned to not judge ourselves to just, just to return. Right To like watch mm-hmm. that grocery list float float across the sky like a cloud. Mm-hmm. And so but then there, I think I like rooting attentiveness in, in the idea of you're, you're returning to here to find some, something and someone waiting. God is waiting there in the mm-hmm. eternal now. And so the eternal now is sort of a paradox, well, it is a paradoxical understanding of time that if God exists outside of time, which God must, Th- then everything is now for God. And so when we return to the moment, we return to this gift. And the gift is we exist within the love of God. That's, that's mm-hmm. the first and fundamental reality that all the mystics talk about. Thomas Merton, um, gosh, I mean, anyone who who was contemplative thought that way, that we exist, our first and most foundational reality is that we exist within God, we exist within God's loving presence. So returning to that, if we can imagine ourselves returning to that kind of embrace, then certain things start to fall away eventually, you know, like
0: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, being, I'm a three on the Enneagram, so I don't know if you're Mm -hmm. Enneagram fans. I am. Yeah, That's
0: my wing. Oh my gosh. Okay. So so
1: you're two with the three wing?
0: That's yeah, okay. I am. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm
1: a three with a two wing, and I think because mm. Holly, you and I are heart space people, right? We're always, yeah. we're always gonna gonna actually move toward how other people are thinking and feeling. We're gonna intuit right. that. We're gonna try to move, and in some ways, that's really good because we can be empathetic. But in other ways, that takes us right out of the moment because we're that's right. right. We're anticipating yeah. what what people are feeling and thinking and all that stuff. So. Um, so, so there's this idea of like returning to here is about developing the consciousness of knowing when I've left. And like that, when you start to become aware of it, like you notice it all the time. Like it's when you're Mm -hmm. in a, you're in a meeting at work, but you're thinking about what you're going to have for dinner. Um, you're again, you're talking on the phone to someone. I mean, I've even... This is so bizarre, but like I've even been preaching and then I'm, I become aware that I'm thinking about something else
0: (laughs) while I'm in the middle of preaching. Oh no, I've done it before with teaching too. I get it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So So hard. So uh, part of what I do in the, in the book too, is I, is I try to, I try to retell familiar stories from the scriptures Mm -hmm. that because I think so many of us, the scriptures have been weaponized or they're just not understood. And so the one I tell in this chapter for attentiveness is the kind of gruesome story of Abraham being asked by God, being tested by God to sacrifice his one and only son Isaac, the one that he loves. And this is the first time love is mentioned in the entire Bible is in this story. So whatever else we're going to learn About this story, according to how Jewish, the ancient Jewish writers wrote, we're going to this. This is a love story. This is a story Mm -hmm. primarily, first and foremost, about love. And I don't want to give it all away, but but it's it's what how do you read that story with attentiveness to return Mm -hmm. to what is love going to do in this story that at first sounds so gruesome, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, right? So. I think even reading with attentiveness, reading with an attitude of being aware and awake of what's really happening uh, beyond our presuppositions, beyond our preconceived notions and our biases, um, okay. if this story is about returning to here, where God is waiting with us with you know love and the eternal now, then I think we might be surprised. yeah,
0: no, that's really good. I do love how you woven um, these biblical stories and try to help us rethink of, of them in light of these practices um and i think it made perfect sense with attentiveness and you also unpack within i mean we and this will be one of those things i definitely would recommend for our, you know this is where i recommend our listeners go pick up the book um when it comes out so you can learn about each of these but within attentiveness you talk about returning to here while doing ordinary tasks yeah. uh, returning to here by abandoning your views yeah. by letting the bible ask us questions by practicing silence and through contemplative prayer and you have these little these like sub practices within each of these seven main um, practices that you kind of walk us through that again this is you know I, definitely send a nod for our listeners to go pick it up so that you, they can like read about each of those little sub
1: pieces. Thanks for and, that Holly. Cause I mean, it really yeah. is like, it's, it, it, it hopefully I've, I've, I've written it in a very accessible way yes. where, where like these practices becoming aware and awake are rooted in reality. I tell these stories about like, you know, sometimes it's my son Ben discovering something in the backyard that I would have overlooked. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, other times it's it's something uh, more sort of deep and, and um, esoteric, but many times it's just it's me and my life and, and or my friends' lives about ordinary moments.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. Well, and that's a beautiful segue into the next one, which was ordinariness. Yeah. And within this one, you write, um, to become aware and awake to who I am, I practice ordinariness, learning to return to who I am and away from who i think i should be which especially you uh admitting that you are primarily in three space that <laughs> makes very good sense now <laughs> yes um yes but i understand because twos and threes actually have a lot more in common i think than yeah people yeah realize. but anyways do, do you want to share a little bit about about that practice
1: yeah i think um so ordinariness Whenever I talk about this, um, sometimes even even like publishers didn't like this word, you know, like mm. like they didn't want ordinary to be in any title or, or or subtitle. And
0: oh my gosh. And
1: and publishers are fantastic; they're great. They know, you know, it's like right. when it comes to marketing and sales, they know more than I do. I, I know, and yeah. it just highlights how ordinary is not a great word for most people Mm -hmm. most people want to be extraordinary or special in some way or and I think this practice is a continual returning to the me that is really me uh, and and gently and I want to say this so like huge like gently noticing the masks that I tend to wear in order to impress people or be accepted or because we're all we're all just hungry for love. We're all hungry for love and affirmation, and we'll do almost anything to get it. And especially depending on our personality type and our background. Right. So, yeah. ordinariness is sort of having the courage to embrace without judgment who I actually am. And that includes what I like my limits, you know, what I will never yeah. become. And I think that's another thing, even within the Christian tradition, Holly, I don't know what you think about this, but, but, but sometimes, sometimes we talk so much about transformation and change that I think we end up shaming ourselves in ways that just aren't necessary. Like they, they're just, they're just some things that I'm probably not going to get better at. you know wow. and 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 yeah. that's not i don't think that's a cop out necessarily but i do think there can be a, a like a just a heavy heavy burden of you have to change wow. even if it's with god's help or what you know with i don't know what that what that like god <laughs> why I went to <laughs> that that mode of speaking but so yeah. ordinariness is like there's this um there is this this story I tell in the chapter of a of a time where I, I meet with a therapist, and this therapist was so great. But eventually, he told me um, how to how to accept a mistake that I had made without mm. without oh,
2: that's right. yeah, uh-huh. yeah
1: without glossing over the mistake,
0: mm-hmm.
1: without denying it or minimizing it, yeah. but sort of like saying, "Okay, I did that." Now, how am I going to integrate that into my life and move on so that I can embrace who I really, really am? And this is, I I think this practice, ordinariness, could revolutionize people's lives. Um, You know, I, okay, I'm five, eight and a half, and I went to, and I'm 200 pounds. I went to the doctor and they're like, man, you're five, eight and a half, you're 200 pounds. According to your BMI, you're obese, right? And I work out almost every day, blah, blah, blah. Uh And I don't look like I am. And I want to say this if you're obese, if you're not obese, our body types are so different. And so there's just so many different ways to be normal, right? Um, But because there's this really, really high degree of shame around obesity in the US, the fact that I was categorized as that, sent me for a loop, you know, and again, I just hope I'm being clear enough to where I, mm-hmm. I do not judge. And I want to name that there, there is a stigma around that. Mm-hmm. And, and even that is something that I had to deal with. Like I have a body type, that's just not going to be pounds aren't going to f- flow off of me when I work out. Um, I'm not going to be super lean. And, you know, so here's a, so I'm talking about body mm-hmm. image. And some of that is just, Some of that is accepting what is and moving on, you know?
0: Yeah, I think you have a quote in here that I really, I think really captures the essence of this chapter that that I loved reading. But um, you write that we can only meet God with our true selves we need to learn to identify the scripts we're following that keep us trapped in our false selves and unable to meet with God and i think it, that really kind of captures this this essence of just learning to recognize those masks or those triggers or those you know those scripts those things that you know keep the stigma or like on or
1: um, yeah
0: keep you carrying that when you know, again, like you said, you can. We can only meet God with our true selves. Um, right. So we, yeah. So that's, that's good.
1: And even that, like that, can feel like a not much of a line. But but if you think about it, like God, no, yeah. God can't meet that which is illusory. You know, right. Like, that which right. is false. It's not like God doesn't want to meet you in the midst of your falseness. It's not that. But literally, I if I'm looking for God, but I'm I'm identified and rooted in my false self or my mask. Mm -hmm. It's just, that's not, that's not a real thing. It's a, it's a construct and God only meets the real, right? So I I want to move more and more toward that, which is rooted in reality um, and actual humanity. There's nothing wrong with being my actual ordinary human self. Um, That's, that's the only way that if change needs to happen, that's the only way change will happen Mm -hmm. is by, being that
0: yeah no that's so good I loved I just I just love this chapter Mm. yeah it's so good well um, that moves us then into the next chapter which actually this is one of I don't know it's really hard because I I want to be like I loved all of them and they all (laughs) were my favorite but I feel like there are a couple of them that really were like oh um, but the simplicity is the next chapter, the next practice that you unpack. Yeah, and yeah. under this, you say um, to touch life deeply in every moment. I practice simplicity, giving unambiguous yeses and unapologetic noes in ways that leave margin and space. And since I just added myself as an enneagram type two, <laughs>
1: um,
0: no is not in my top favorite.
1: Right. right. Me list neither. of words.
0: So, yeah. Well, what did you um, like about,
1: I mean, I'm not trying to be, yeah, no, weird, but like, like, totally like, fine. Yeah. I mean, I mean, talk about what resonated with you in this particular chapter.
0: Oh, sure. Well, I want, I, I mean, I'll, I'll say what, certainly just that and this idea of like discerning our yeses from our nos and, you know, being able to identify where our limits are in this. There's, I mean, you had one quote in here Where you had mentioned, like, I don't want to live off the grid, but I do Mm want to be able to reclaim where my grid ends and where everybody else's grid begins. Um, I need to be able to touch my edges. And I loved that. And then I really, really loved, um, let's see if I, where all my stars and underlines are in here. But um, but I really, really, really loved the analogy that you used, um, of us sleeping through the storm. Oh, yeah, so yeah. you, yeah, so you write in one point, you say, pra- uh, practicing simplicity is like being able to sleep through a storm. You're able to get what you need, live within your limits and make time for what's really important in the middle of the storm of overstimulation, busyness and over commitment that's sweeping everybody else overboard. And oh my gosh. Ay, 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 It's such, <laughs> it's, it just resonates, it's so true. And part of, you know, some of my Lenten practices is confronting my tendency towards busyness and how that numbs other things. And so that felt convicting. But just this need for simplicity is, I mean, it's just so important for us in so many ways. And you have these little practices within the chapter where, like, one of them you said, you write if, if you were limited to thirty words or less, how would you describe the people and activities that are most important to you? And I underlined and starred that, just thinking, gosh, that that is that is such a good practice for us to think about. Like how could I chip this down to 30 words of you know identifying the things that are most important yeah. Um, yeah. to help discern? But anyways, that's enough of what I took away. I mean, there's <laughs> certainly much more underlined and starred, but like what I mean, is there anything else you want to share about that chapter?
1: Well, I think just that um, when we think about simplicity, there's a way, I think in for this chapter, because in the age of the internet and there's so much stimulation that is happening, there's an immediate yes. Like people, everyone goes, oh. yes. Like yeah. I have not met anyone who uh, I don't think who have said, you know, no, I have a pretty good balanced life. <laughs> like I, I don't, I, I say yes to the things I want to, I say no to the things I don't. And that's, that's because our lives are complicated. You know, like uh, there's a relationship I'm in right now where I'm not quite sure where to go with it because it's like, I I don't know what it is. Is this a mutual friendship? Is this a friendship Mm -hmm. where really I'm more of the coach? Uh, What do I want out of this friendship? Is it a friendship really? You know, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. um, and there was recently a thing where I, I was like, do I need to say no in this area? So uh, and so what I want to say about simplicity is if it was super easy to say these yeses and these noes, we would, you know, like, yeah, like, right. so mm-hmm. I, I want to acknowledge the reason why it's so difficult is because it's not like most of us uh, have the opportunity just to say easy noes uh, or or hard yeses. They're, they're, it's kind of like well, that would be a tough no, or, or saying yes to that means I probably need to say no to that other thing. And so how do I do it? And so, um, so I find it helpful to lift up different people who've done it pretty well. So like I write about one of my friends named Nick, and he's just this crazy inventor guy. And mm-hmm. I, I was having lunch with him. He works downtown Minneapolis. And so I was having lunch with him at the whole foods in downtown Minneapolis. And I remember he, he sat down and I can't remember how we started talking about it, but pretty soon he's telling me about how he's changed his relationship with his smartphone that he no longer has limitless data. You know, that's the big thing. Like, like, you yeah. know, limitless data, limitless talk, limitless text, whatever he goes, I've actually, I've actually arranged my cell phone to where I use, I pay for what I use and so I no longer use GPS. And so I'm like, wait a minute, what? He goes, Yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> he goes, Because yeah. I have to actually know, like I have to I have to break out a map or whatever. In fact,
0: a map quest. Right,
1: yeah. <laughs> right. Like how do I do <laughs> yeah. it? You know. But mm-hmm. what he said was, he goes, I've been doing this now for a couple months now. And what I found is my mind is like sparking the way it used to before the mm. internet right and that's what he said he yes. goes I, it's yes. hard to explain yeah. but my mind is solving problems and is there's more open space and so okay. i think i i found it inspiring to talk to people who have done some small changes and again i'm not talking about living off the grid necessarily um right, i think right, most right. of us most of us can't do that most of us right. just don't have that but there i think there is a way of um getting getting to a place where you, but first, it, but like it, it it starts with identifying what you truly desire, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so that's this, this developing this statement, this 30 words or less that really identifies the things and the people that bring you the most joy and being okay saying that, you know, like oh. this is what brings me joy. These are the people that I want to primarily invest in and be invested in with and then making decisions, these unapologetic yeses and unambiguous noes, where you start to put your money where your mouth is. And, and you know, like, so I, I think that's where you have to start. I don't think you can just say, well, I, I have to be more simple with my decisions, you know. Mm, right, um, right. But I also think there, there's, there's a part of this where um, I think with – the unending stream of news and anxiety and outrage that's just being put in front of us at all times. Our brains just simply aren't wired up for that level of stimulation. So if we don't start making decisions that bring us more towards simplicity, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I really think that we are going to be not okay. Like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, mm-hmm. we're going to be carrying just far, far too much baggage. We're just not our, our brains haven't caught up to the level of stimulation that we're trying to absorb. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. No. Totally. I absolutely totally agree. I think it's it's important that we're having the you know these conversations about that and just recognizing again going back to our limits and like what it is that we can feasibly you know yeah like mentally, like yeah
1: even a super yeah. small thing Holly like let's say you're on Twitter. And let's say you read something that really makes you mad, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, or irritates you, or you feel like I have Which
0: to... never happens yeah. on Twitter. <laughs> never. never. Yeah, never, or, ever. <laughs> or
1: more commonly, right, there's this thing of like mm-hmm. something's happening in the world that's unjust and I need to right. say something or else people are going to think I'm not thinking about it and I'm not on that side. And that creates an anxiety, right, because then... Um, So simplicity sometimes is saying, I'm not going to say anything about that. I'm just going to move on. Not because I don't believe in it. Not because I don't think it's right. Just because to engage in this particular thing at this particular moment would be to leave the here and now. And to live in this illusory false sense of I'm on team good guy because now I just tweeted against or for whatever thing that's happening, that if you don't do it, then you're going to be judged by some invisible tribe of people <laughs> who mm. it's really important that you appear uh, woke to, you know what I mean? And that sounds okay. ridiculous, but that's motivating us, and we don't even know it. Yeah, no, I, I, I
0: hear you. I think that's, <laughs> it's, it's, Yeah. Well, I do want to be, I certainly want to make sure, you know, we're sensitive to time too. And I would, I really, I wish we could like dive into each of these so deeply, but I want to touch on at least a couple more if that's okay. And if oh, for time, sure.
1: For yeah. That, you, just pick, okay? you just pick, you just pick whichever, whichever ones feel like the most uh, okay. juicy for you.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, I can tell you, I'll say, I'll say two things. I will call out rhythm, even though that is directly mm. the next one, Yeah. that one was really good and I'm gonna want you if do you have the book nearby? Yep, I do. Okay. So I'm gonna want you to read a section in that in a okay. moment. And then and then I'll just kinda note maybe one other. I I mean, yeah, you had me in tears by the end oh, of it. Man. By the end of this book. Yeah, it was good. Um so let's let's talk about rhythm. Okay. And then and you, you write that Um, For rhythm, this is to live in harmony with those around me. I practice rhythm, learning to hear and play my part in the song the universe is singing. Mm -hmm. Um, I absolutely loved this analogy to jazz music and a reminder that our story is our song and that we have that freedom to improvise within the larger rhythm. Yeah. Um, And that is kind of where I'm wanting you to read.
1: Okay. When a group of musicians are held together by a shared rhythm, they are free to express their unique story through their improvised solos in time with the rhythm. Those solos may be different each time they play the song, depending on what's happening in their lives in that unique moment in time. But it's the shared rhythm that brings the song together each time it's played, even when the solos morph and change. When a jazz musician struggles to hear the rhythm or can't find the notes, the other musicians are able to help them remember the song by playing back what they've heard. Like good jazz, the universe also has a rhythm, a deep bass line that keeps all of creation in time. And deep within each human being is a unique song, reflecting that person's truest nature and purpose in life. You were born with your song the divine breath gave it to you but as you received and perpetuated pain loss and shame you lost the ability to hear it you need to find a way to remember it but you probably can't remember it alone mm-hmm. yeah i love that <laughs> thank you mm-hmm. no i mean i that's one of those that's one of those times where so this this chapter was was very influenced the idea of connecting it with jazz with a friend of mine that mm-hmm. that and we started out as friends because of a dis, because of a disagreement <laughs> actually oh, like oh. we became friends mm-hmm. because he's on one end of a political spectrum and i'm on the other mm-hmm. and we didn't really know each other very well and we would have these conversations on facebook that were kind of like, you know, like mm-hmm. kind of harsh back and forth, and so finally, we decided to take it in person, you know, and to be in person, mm-hmm. and and so this guy is a great musician. I mean, he's amazing. Oh my gosh, he mm-hmm. plays the saxophone, the clarinet, and he appreciates really good, uh, really good music. So as I was, I was talking to him about this idea of like. What does it mean when everybody like everyone has their own unique flavor, Mm -hmm. but it's also sort of it all fits together, you know, and that's when he was like, oh, my gosh, that's jazz music. You know, if you listen to jazz, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people are improvising solos and but, you know, they they come out of the story of their lives. If they're experiencing pain right then, you're going to hear that. Mm In their improvised solo, and so I just loved the the juxtaposition of sort of being held together, even in pain, by the shared rhythm, but also being able to play the same song, but with different notes and different riffs and different improvised parts based on how life was treating you. You know, Uh, I Mm -hmm. I fell in love with that, and then so then I started thinking, man, you know, when it comes to practicing. A, a kind of mindfulness with other people. What does it mean to be so in tune with someone else and their story that you pick up the differences? Now they're improvising right now. Usually they would play this kind of note, but they're playing maybe a, a note in, and I'm speaking metaphorically now, of course, but, right. um, yeah. but they're going through something that I, I can tell that that is changing them. What is that? So it leads me to, being curious, you know, and also realizing that as I'm playing my part and I'm keeping the rhythm, I can keep someone, you know, without taking responsibility for their lives and for their decision, but I can keep them in time, um, in a way that's really genuinely helpful and not taking over, not taking, you know, not being codependent, (laughs) which is Mm -hmm. my two wing can go there, you know? Mm Um, so, but yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I just, I loved the chapter and how you woven, you know, the Eucharist and communion Mm. and it just, it's so beautiful. I mean, every single one of these practices that you unpack are beautiful and they resonate and they're honest and they're human. And, you know, you really do um, emphasize that imminent and transcendent nature Mm. of God that is just woven into each of us. And I, I just really commend you for it. The whole, each of the practices, they're beautiful. Thank you. I I know I had, oh yes, you are welcome. I know I had said at the, a little bit before that there was one part that, you know, just brought tears to my eyes as I was finishing up reading the book. And it, it was really more in the way that you end this book, which is finding God wherever you go. And, you know, you're your ways, the ways in which you woven bits about Merton. Um, and I mean, oh, it was so good. When you were talking about Merton, there was a quote that you had that he was engaging in these spiritual practices or these spiritual exercises by Loy- Loyola. And uh, that he was afraid that the exercises would plunge him headfirst into <laughs> mysticism before he yeah. was aware of it. Yeah. I, oh. <laughs> I just, I, yes that resonated a little bit well thomas Um, merton
1: you know yeah thank you for recognizing that particular piece because i think there's a temptation and the reason why i wanted to end because so i start the book with the story with thomas merton shining like the sun
2: Mm -hmm. and i think
1: even unconsciously there's there's a way in which we can read a story like that and and we can be we can be like oh my gosh that's so cool But then we go, that could never happen to me. Or, well, that's just the life of a saint or a mystic, you know? And so I think toward the end, it was important for me to bring out some of the really dark suffering that Thomas Merton really went through. Both of his parents died of cancer when he was very little, he had a lot of death. In his life, he was a writer that was rejected by like uh-huh. all the publishers, you know, so like <laughs> mm-hmm. he, exp- I mean, everyone thinks Thomas Merton was just this giant for all time, but he really didn't start that way. And even, you know, when he finally found his way to this monastery, Gethsemane and f- sort of stumbled on this idea of meditation, contemplative prayer. He did so with a skeptical mind and heart, mm-hmm. like he just pointed yeah. out. And I love that too, because it's like we don't typically, like we think our pure motivations are, are where that's what's going to lead us to God. That's what. But yeah. I think, gosh, I think maybe half the time, maybe a quarter of the time, maybe a tenth of the time, that's true. Mm. Maybe one out of 100. But typically, it's when. It's actually some of our bad motivations, our falseness, yeah. our skeptical heart that leads us to something true and good. And for yeah. me, that is so freeing.
0: Yes. Oh, my gosh. That's such a good way to put it. And it parallels beautifully with your link to um, Campbell's Hero's Journey yeah. that you end the book with. That That's really what kind of hit me. Just I love Campbell's work, and I just – You just nodded to so many people and authors in this book that I am. And you wove it all together so beautifully. So I Mm. am just so thankful for it. Mm. Oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well,
1: just, just, I I, I do want to make a quick shout out to my editor, Lil Copen at Fortress Mm. Press. And she, it was very difficult actually to, um, to get this book in the form that it is right now. I think it probably Mm. was about five different books before it got to this point. But Lil is the kind of editor that is fierce with you know, suggestions about what needs to change, but also fierce with she knew what I was going for, and she knew how to just take me step by step and how to get there. If it, Like if she would have laid out in the very beginning all the changes that need, needed to happen, yeah. I probably would have quit. Um, mm-hmm. So she just took me through very gently, step by step, piece by piece, how to say what was really in my heart to say, and so huge shout out to her. She's a fantastic editor.
0: That's awesome. That's so so good. Well, one question that we um, that we do always like to ask before wrapping up is, um, you know, you have spent so much time putting together this book and, you know, weaving this together and creating, you know, outlining these seven practices. What is your hope for this book, Steve?
1: Yeah, that's so. Thanks for asking. I, um, yeah, I think that going back to sort of why I wrote it in this age where so many people are deconstructing and reconstructing, in this age where so many people are, I think, hungry for the divine and to touch the divine and to be in union with the divine, but are so tired of the ways in which. Um, The Bible has been weaponized and spirituality has been hijacked and there's just so little that we can trust. I think in the middle of all that crazy, I hope this book is a delightful breath of fresh air, that it's an invitation that wherever you are, the divine is waiting there for you in the eternal now with love and there are... Not easy is not the right word, but simple movements, simple redirections, simple following your heart's desire will get you where you need to go. And so for people that read this book, like I hope at the end of it, it feels like a friend, you know, like a like a companion, like a spiritual director who sat Mm. with you through your story and offers you a helpful mirror. To saying, well, here's who you are, and here's where you can, here's a step that you already know you want to take, and will you take it? You know, so I just, I hope it's that kind of invitation gentle, winsome, delightful, and helpful.
0: Oh, that's so good. And Steve, I'm so glad we've had you on the show today. Well, friends, if you want to connect with Steve, you can find him at steveweens.com or on any social media at steveweens, and we'll have links to all of his sites uh, in the show notes. If you want to connect with Robert, you can uh, find him at robert-boer.com or on any social media at Bohr. If you want to connect with me, you can find me at hollyoxhandler.com or on Twitter at hollyoxhandler. Steve, thank you again so very much for joining us today. It has just been such a pleasure. Holly, you um, do were... Do you have s- any... Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> I just want
1: to say you were such a great host. Your questions Aww. and your your passion for the subject matter, uh, I felt very cared for and loved mm. as I was doing this this conversation. So thank you for that.
0: Oh, thank you, Steve. I appreciate that. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners?
1: Um, no, just be your sweet, good, beautiful, ordinary self. And, um, and I think you can find the divine uh, in that place. Thanks for listening to the CXMH Podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at cxmhpodcast at gmail.com.